As we begin today, I want to share something from David Cho. The reason he's uh, of interest is that he is a pastor in Korea, and the church where he has been pastor for many years is believed to be the biggest church in history, the congregation, uh, one million members. But he shared about his time when he was not a believer, and he wrote this, I was diagnosed with advanced tuberculosis and given four months to live. I prayed, God, if you exist, please help me. You know, Tony Robbins, I love this statement here about faith. There's all sorts of definitions about faith. You know, it's, it's trust, it's belief. And Tony Robbins says, faith is to have certainty even though there is nothing to be certain about. Faith is to have certainty even though there's nothing to be certain about. It's having that, that you know, you're grounded in the promise in that you know in whom you believed and it's seeing things as they can be before they are. It's praying in a way that you say, I believe I've received it before the evidence is there that you've received it. It's confessing and declaring the promises of God as if they've already been attained in your life because the reality is they have been as all promises are yes and amen in Christ. We'll talk more about what that means here in a moment, but Mickey Winborn said it like this, saying scriptural words are necessary, but it's not enough. Just repeating over and over, I don't have sickness in my body, is not going to heal you. It's when your heart believes what your mouth is saying that mountains are moved. You know, Paul said the same thing. He said, when you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is raised, you shall be saved. And so it's about your heart, and it's about what you speak, and we'll see it's about a number of other things, having that certainty when there's nothing to be certain about read this interesting article about the the moon here just fascinating facts about the moon at night the temperature of the moon think about this reaches minus 143 degrees celsius nothing on earth comes close to that type of freezing temperature but during the day at noon the moon reaches 127 degrees celsius hotter than boiling water so at night today tremendous change in temperature Interestingly, the moon has no seasons. You know, we talk about seasons a lot because some here may be going through a winter season where they're feeling, you know, somewhat barren and empty. Others may be going through a spring season and they're saying everything's fresh and new. The reality, though, is faith, whether you're in the winter season, the spring season, is to say I have certainty no matter what the season might be. I rest in the promise of Christ. You know, it's been said, well, discipleship is not lived on the mountaintop, but rather in the valley. Where David would face Goliath was where? In the valley. Mountaintop experiences, it's easy at that point to say, you know, I have faith. The real challenge is in the valley and saying, even in that place, I've got the same certainty. So let's talk about something here very key about the spiritual life. I'll read it from two different places here. Let's start, though, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. We are made up of three parts, a spirit, that eternal part, united with Christ. What did Jesus say? We worship in spirit and in truth. When we are in the the spirit, that's that worship, that prayer, that feeding ourselves scripturally. It's that sense of steadfast faith that we know we are in Christ in whom we move and have our being. Soul, 
Well, your soul is your mind, your emotions, and the body, of course, is self-evident. The key is the difference here between spirit and soul. As Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is what? Alive and active, sharper than a sword, dividing soul and spirit. The word of God divides soul and spirit. These are key things to understand about the spiritual life, your life, my life, and what happens in the world. In very plain English, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, their spirit dominated. Their soul, their mind and emotions were subordinate to that spirit. And of course, the body was then subordinate to both. At the fall, suddenly the soul became primary. Adam and Eve began to relate to the world, not in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense and in their mind and their emotions. Well, here's the thing about the mind. It's not designed to make you happy. It's designed for what? Survival. And that's why it's always the critical mind that's there. The spiritual warfare takes place where? In the mind. Where does the enemy accuse you? There in the mind, in your soul. And when you and I are soulish, we're in the mind, the emotions, the critical what is the soul, the mind? It thrives on what? Things like fear, anger, division, bitterness, resentments, anxieties. What is spirit? Think about Jesus. He was perfect in every way. And in the spirit, what did he do when he approached the land and the, the demoniac came out of the cemetery? And Jesus said, who are you? And the demon said, legion. That's 2,000 to 6,000 demons in that term. What did Jesus say? There was no fear, no anxiety. He simply said, come out of him. And at one command of his word, what he said happened. There was no fear. When crowds wanted to stone him, what did he do? He just walked right through them. You see, it's easy to be spiritual on the mountaintop. Real discipleship is when you get to the valley, do you have that same certainty, same spirit, same walking in the spirit, not in the soul? You can see the soul every day. Just turn on the news and watch the division, the fighting, the anger, the selfishness. That's soulish life. What a spiritual life. It's when you're grounded and say, no greater love hath a man than he lay down his life one for another. It's when you say, you know, I seek nothing but your face, O God. We know what it's like to be in the spirit. We all wrestle between the soul and the spirit. You can watch somebody go from the spirit to the soul in moments. The key is where are we grounded? If you're grounded in the spirit, you're taking in scripture, feeding that spiritual man that divides the soul from the spirit so that you walk in the truth, not in the mind, the emotions, where it's fears and anxieties and selfishness. I'll give you some great examples of that here in just a moment. Just keep in mind here, though, there is no progress if you are in your head. It's simply not possible. In fact, as Robin says, do what your mind tells you not to do. Again, it's easy to be spiritual on Sunday morning. We often find ourselves very soulish when there's a traffic jam, though, during the work week. The key is how do you stay grounded in the spirit? Well, you do that by feeding that spiritual part of your life with scripture, worship, prayer. Practicing living out your faith rather than fears about what others might think. Sometimes it's, simply as, it's as simple as do what your mind tells you not to do. I'll give you a great example of this. Some of you have heard this. Let me review it if you have, but if you have not, here's some keys to relationship. But keep in mind the difference between soul and spirit. 
This is from DeAngelis and Gray, but it's the four steps to the end of a relationship. And step one is known as resist. Step one is known as resist. What is resist? When you're married and suddenly you notice something you don't like that your spouse does. And you notice that you notice. Perhaps they do something that you find irritating. But it's gone beyond something where it bothered you one time to now you think that really bothers me every time they do that. Here's the thing about resist. Where is that happening? It's happening in your soul. It's in your mind. Resist is about you. It's what you don't like. And you need to say, let me slay the monster while it's little before it goes to step two. When you resist, that's something triggering in you and you need to own that and then deal with that trigger rather than letting division begin to grow. If you don't handle resist, you go to step two, destroying a relationship, which is resent. Resist, you notice you don't like something. Resent is when now you have an emotional charge to what your spouse does. You go from saying, I don't like that to makes me angry when they do that thing. You know, here's the thing. When you first start dating something, you first start dating someone, they might do something that's quirky and you think, you know, at that time it's cute. Maybe they're absent-minded and you think it's kind of funny, but as you get married and they forget important things over and over, perhaps you find yourself saying, listen, they always forget things and it makes me angry. If you don't stop that monster at resist, move to resent, and you don't handle it there while it's there in that place, how do you really handle it? You get into a spiritual life. And I'll show you how to do that in a moment here. The big difference between in your head you're dead versus being in your heart, another word for spirit, where you stop and say, listen, my life is to give my life for you rather than keeping score. So resist you notice you don't like it, resent, now you're angry, upset about it. You don't handle it then, you move to rejection. Rejection is when people start to make threats. I'm going to leave you. There's so much emotional stacking in the negative sense that that person in that soulless thinking has moved to that place where now they're at rejection. The monster's now big. And this is where many divorces happen. Many people get through rejection they go to step four, which is repress. Repress is when you simply say, I don't even care anymore. We're just roommates now. And a lot of people live in that repressed place. You'll see them out at a restaurant, just kind of emptiness in their eyes. They let that monster go and go and continue to grow. Resist, resent, reject to repress. Many people stay in that repressed place for decades, 10, 20, 30 years. And then finally, maybe one person just moves on and you'll hear people say, I never saw them fight. I thought they had it all together. Well, they stopped fighting because they stopped caring. And what happens at that point? Again, you just live as roommates. That's no way to live a life. These things start with a soul. A soulish thinking, the mind, will, and emotions, the fears, doubts, anxieties, versus being in the spirit that is about certainty when there's nothing to be certain about because you say, I know in whom I believe. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So how do you get into the spirit? 
As I've shared before, the Hawaiian prayer is a great way. It takes just a few moments. You look each other in the eye. Best to do this when you're at the beginning of resist. But at any stage, you get into your spirits, you make eye contact with your spouse, and you simply say the Hawaiian prayer, which is simply this, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And you do that three times. And you'll sense the shift from your soul, your thinking, to your spirit, your heart. And when you're in your heart, when you're in your spirit, you are grounded in love and faith. And from love and faith, you have better answers, better responses. And Christ is working through you at a whole different level. And you find yourself in the valley facing Goliath like David did. You're not moved. Rather, like David, you say, you come towards me with sword and shield, but I stand here against you because I serve the living God. So three times again, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. That's what it is to be in the spirit. Notice what Job said. We all know Job's story. But do you know Job 3.25 where Job said this? Think about it again. The difference between soul and spirit. Listen to what Job said. I'll read a couple versions. The King James says this. The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, that which I was afraid of is come unto me. New Living Translation, what I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. New American Standard, for what I fear comes upon me, what I dread befalls me. Amplified says, the thing which I greatly fear comes upon me, that of which I am afraid has come upon me. What's happening for Job? He was focusing on this fear. He always kind of lived in that state of the worst thing is going to happen to me someday. And that was his thinking. That's what the soul does. Fears and doubts. Faith says, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Love this here from Shanta Pullum who said, you know, after troubled youth, became a, a drug dealer, found herself in a mental hospital, finally came to a place, surrendered her life to Christ, wanted to be a, a missionary evangelist. And one day she said, I shared with a man my dream. I told him I wanted to have a ministry that included going to Africa. After I finished telling him my dream, he said, that will never happen. Somebody else is solely thinking. And many people then receive that into their soul and begin to think the same thing. She was very wise. Here's what she said. I immediately told him he was a dream killer and I rebuked every negative spirit he possessed in the name of Jesus. You cannot walk the good walk of faith if the people you surround yourself with are not of faith, but instead are full of doubt and disbelief. What a great principle. Somebody speaks words over you that are a curse and you speak back and I say, I, I break that curse in Jesus' name. I shared before the gentleman who went to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, you have cancer. And he said, I cancel those words in Jesus' name. The next test, he was completely free of cancer. 
You see, so many people hear words that are negative, they take it into their soul, which magnifies the negative, and the enemy comes in like a flood, and he begins to speak into that soul, and that fear, and that doubt, and that selfishness, that criticism, division, everything we see going on in the world begins to take root. What's the answer? Again, James says, resist the devil, he flees. That idea of him fleeing is he runs away in terror when somebody in Christ stands up and says, I've got certainty, even if there's nothing to be certain about, because my faith is not based on emotion. It's not based on circumstance. It's based on the eternal one who's the same yesterday, today, forever. But we need to begin speaking in that place, speaking in that way, declaring in that place where we say, it is in my heart that I believe and with my mouth that I speak. Again, as David Cho said, I was diagnosed with advanced tuberculosis, given four months to live. I prayed, God, if you exist, please help me. As Miles Monroe said, when you ask for something in prayer, you have to start speaking about it as if it already exists. So we talked about Psalm 138 verse 2 says, you have exalted your name and your word above all else. So we say, I base my faith, my certainty in the name above all names and that word that is true in all circumstances. So what happened for David Cho? He said this not long after my prayer, a young Christian woman came to see me. She told me, I want to speak to you about Jesus Christ. I said, thank you for coming to see me. I'm a Buddhist. I'm about to die. I would not consider changing religions. She responded, that's all right. I'm going to speak to you about Jesus anyway. You have somebody that you want to pray for. Here's some things to pray from Elver, Elmer Towns for simple prayers. Again, it's what you declare, speak, pray. It's your words that move mountains when your mouth declares what your heart believes. A simple prayer. Lord, remove the blindness from my spiritual eyes. A second one. Lord, help, fill in their name, to see their sin against God. The next one. Lord, help, fill in the name, to see and accept the gospel. Here's a great one. Lord, use my testimony and words to bring fill in their name to salvation. They're going to speak what you want to see and what they need, declaring it with faith in the one whose name is above all things, whose word is above all things. As David Cho continues, this young woman came back to see me the next day. I screamed at her because I wanted her to leave me alone. She began to cry. She prayed, please, Jesus, forgive him. He's sick. He does not mean what he is saying. The sight of her kneeling and praying for me touched me deeply. Who is this God she talks about that would send someone to tell me what she had shared? I became a believer that day. My young friend smiled and said, I want to give you my most prized possession. She then handed me her Bible. You know, Mickey Winborn gives a, a great example of the same thing. She said this, I was praying for a woman with an illness. I commanded the spirits of infirmity to leave her. Nothing happened. I began to pray silently and ask God what to do. The Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit. She sees herself sick. Ask her if she can see herself healed by the power of God. I fixed my eyes on the woman. I asked her the question with conviction. She said, yes. 
As soon as that response of faith came out of her mouth, her healing began. So let me share something as we close here, a verse. Talk about identity. We stay consistent with our identity. Is your identity grounded in who you are in Christ truly? Listen to Psalm 82.6. Psalm 82.6, where the psalmist says, sharing the words of God, I have said, ye are gods. All of you children of the Most High. I have said, ye are gods. We might think that that psalmist is being poetic. Here's the thing. Go to John chapter 10, 34. We're told this. Jesus replied to the crowd. These were critics that had gathered around him. Jesus replied to the crowd. Is it not written in your law? I have said you are gods. Now that title does not mean what we use that term for. We use that term to speak about divinity. What it is saying here is you have the highest title on this planet in Christ. You have the highest calling on this planet in Christ. So you and I need to begin to live up to that. When Jesus says, has it not been said you are God's? We know it's not in the sense of having that divinity. It's in the sense of having a call to have dominion, to rule victoriously over the enemy. And so we start saying, Lord, let me live up to the title of honor that you called and declared over me. Where I won't live in my soul. I'm going to be grounded in my spirit and have certainty when there's nothing to be certain about. And it can be as simple as just taking a moment and saying, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I love you. Thank you. As Monroe said, we need to recognize the high esteem and purpose God has for us. In essence, he is saying, let me rule through you so you can appreciate, enjoy, and share in my governance. David Cho would share this as we close. As I read that Bible, things began to change without anyone telling me I knew I was going to live. Before long, I was able to get out of bed, stand up and shout, Hallelujah. I have never had trouble with tuberculosis since. You see, that's the difference that makes all the difference. Real discipleship is not lived on the mountaintop, it's lived in the valley. Or we say again, I've got certainty, even if there's nothing to be certain about. Because I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today.